Now you may remain standing as we continue to hear from God's Word. We're going to take a little break from our series on Jeremiah to do a special sermon on the topic of service. This will come from 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. And the context for this special sermon in terms of the life of our church is that it just so happens through a variety of just God's providential circumstances here that we have an unusual number of service needs in our body. There have been so many people who have been serving faithfully for many years in a variety of different capacities and who have needed to step back for a variety of good reasons. We're also about to bid farewell to one of our pastors. So there are things that I used to do um, that I'm not going to be able to do any longer after he departs. So we're going to send an email about some specifics, but for today, we are going to look at what is the vision for service in Christ Church. We're going to refresh ourselves with a joyful call to serve the Lord Jesus. This is found in page 1206 in the Bibles in front of you. 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As far as the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you for saving us from bondage to sin and bringing us into this new and joyful phase of serving you. And we are thankful, Lord, for the joy of being your servants. We pray you would renew us in that joy, and that you'd help us, Lord, to serve joyfully with all that we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back when I was a student at Wheaton, there was one person who really impressed me at the school. I believe I may have told you about her before. It wasn't one of the profs. It was the mail lady. And she was often seen about campus pulling her heavy cart with a load of all kinds of mail to deliver. And it was a pretty physically demanding job. And, uh, you know, here she is. She's doing this very physically demanding job and surrounded by all these high-powered Ph.D. guys. Many would have thought her job to be drudgery. But she had a radiant spirit, a joyful spirit. And she was always greeting people and asking them, how are you doing? And many people knew her personally. And my favorite part is over the door that marked the entrance to her mailroom, she had a large handwritten sign that said, this is my offering. And I just love that. She's doing it all as an offering of love to the Lord Jesus. And I bring her up because I want you to see and to remember that the way that we serve 
really matters to God. It's one thing to serve, do what needs to be done, but it's another thing to do that with a right and pure heart. That's what we're going to talk about today, that right and pure heart. What does true service look like? How does it emerge from a true heart? That's what we're going to consider first, looking at 1 Peter 4. And then we're going to see how that true service to Christ emerges not from a sense of guilt or a sense of burden, but as a response to God's grace, a joyful response to His grace. We're going to grow in true servant-hearted character only when we look to the true servant, who is Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us. As we look and open our passage together, verse 7, Peter announces that the end of all things is at hand. And in our time, this is kind of what you expect to see some half-crazy person having on their sign at the street corner. <laughs> the end of all things is at hand. Um, Peter's not crazy. And uh, even the very next thing he says, the very next words are, the end of all things are at hand, therefore be sober-minded, be self-controlled in light of this impending end. And when he says the end of all things is at hand, he has something very specific in view. He's not thinking about nuclear war, some kind of apocalyptic environmental disaster. No, he's saying, and saying his entire letter, that Jesus, he came the first time to save, and he's coming back. And when he comes back, it will bring in the fullness of the new creation. It will bring in the fullness of Christ's kingdom, and it will be the day when Jesus the King judges the world. It is the great goal and end point towards which all of history is heading. That's what Peter means. And when he says the end of all things is at hand, he's, he's reminding us that things are not going to continue as they always have. They're not, we're not just going to continue the humdrum routine. No, we are living on the cusp of a new and great work of God that's going to forever change the entire experience of our lives. That's what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. And you are not going to live rightly in light of it by ignoring that great work that God's about to do. You're not going to be, live well in this present time by just indulging yourself, living it up, going to parties, drinking too much, eating too much, and the like. The past, Peter says, is sufficient for all that stuff. Time to move on from the ways in which we have been living indulgently. Now, we are living in light of the end. We are living as those on the cusp of something truly awesome and glorious that's about to come, the great kingdom of God. And if you really understand what's, what's about to happen, you will live a sober life of love. That's what he says in verse 8. Above all, here's how you get ready for the end. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Self-sacrificial love. Do you realize that is what we will be doing for all eternity? God's kingdom is a world of love. When Jesus returns, the joy of it 
is finally, finally, people will not be inwardly bent, self-seeking. Finally, God will so have so imparted his love to his people that finally we will be perfected in holiness, and that means perfected in love and perfected in living in love for each other. That's where this is all headed. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what's going to make heaven so wonderful is that the love of God beaming on us will lead to perfect love beaming from each of us. And so the way you get ready for this ultimate kingdom of God is to start living now as though Jesus is king now, because he is. He actually is reigning now. He actually was raised from the dead, and then it says he ascended up into heaven and is seated at God's right hand. And so if you want to live well in light of the kingdom that's coming, live in light of the kingdom that's already arrived by living in love as the king wants us to love. What are his greatest commands? It's always been the same throughout the whole Bible. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. Live that way now. And so we live these royal commands in light of the end that's coming. And also, this is also part of how we're fulfilling God's purpose for this age is by living these commands, outsiders will see our love and what will happen. They will praise your Father who is in heaven. That was from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus told us, by living as my disciples, lives of love, people will know you're my disciples. And they'll want that. He will bring people into the kingdom because the people of God are loving each other. And so what does loving one another earnestly look like? Well, Peter tells us. He brings out three aspects of godly service here in this passage. First is, it is practical and sacrificial. True service is practical and sacrificial. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, that's one particular avenue of service. It's not meant to be, you know, this is the only way. It's one great example. Why? Because hospitality isn't so much about entertaining people as it is inviting people into our homes, into our lives, giving to them their needs. What are, they, what are the things that they need? Taking the initiative with them. Hospitality could take the form of inviting somebody to your home. It could also take the form of saying, hey, do you want to get lunch? Showing that practical, sacrificial desire to bless another person in their needs. Is it not true that in our time, one of the greatest needs is for friendship? I mean, there was already this terrible pandemic of loneliness, and then COVID hit, and it became even intensified, where people are even more fractured and even more distant from their neighbors and from other people just in general. And there are, there's a pandemic of loneliness. How do we show practical, sacrificial love, reaching out to somebody. So sacrificial, true service is sacrificial. It's joyful. And that's the second piece, actually. It's, it's joyful. Notice how he says, show hospitality without grumbling. Grumbling is the opposite of joy. We can grumble while we serve about all kinds of things. So here we are doing all this practical service. Remember, Martha, she's grumbling. Why isn't Mary helping? Right? We can grumble about all the people who aren't serving. And I always feel like I have to do everything. I'm doing the disproportionate amount 
of work. But grumbling is a sure sign that we've missed the true heart of service. We've become absorbed in ourselves. The service is actually about us now. And so we've lost that sense of joy, of blessing another person, meeting their needs so that they can be well. And instead, we, are, we have the toxins of bitterness and of self-righteousness spreading through our soul. So true service is not just doing the service, but it's how we do it. It's joyful. It's without grumbling. And then thirdly, it is putting our gifts to use. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it. As you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Stewards of varied grace. And the word varied is really a fun word in the Bible. It's used in the context of clothing to describe multiple colors, many colors. And so God's grace when it's imparted to people, is like light from the sun that shines through a stained glass window or a kaleidoscope or a prism. And what happens? All, that's the same grace that's being shown to us all, and yet God gives that grace in various manifestations with various gifts for various people. Do you remember from Romans 12? There's one body, all of us animated by the same blood of Christ pumping through us, but many members, many members. And Peter here, he distinguishes two different kinds of gifts. Paul had a much more elaborate list in chapter 12, but there are two, two kinds of gifts that we can be made stewards of, this, the gifts of serving and the gifts of speaking. Gifts of speaking, he says, you should speak as one speaking the oracles of God. Gifts of serving, what does he say? With the strength God supplies. And of course, serving, you could break it down into all different kinds of things. There's people who love to serve with administrating, loving all the details. There's those who love to serve with cooking or working with their hands, or even serving in terms of listening and counseling others. But the point is this. Everyone has received a gift from Jesus. Everyone has received strengths that they are made stewards of from Jesus. I was just reading this biography of an American who was in Europe, and he was sending some of his savings back home to America to his brother and saying to his brother, please invest this money. And his brother knew, hey, this is not my money. This is my brother's money. I can't just spend this on whatever I want. And he also knew, I also can't just sit on this. Right? I've, I've got to put it to use. Jesus has given us gifts. He wants us not to spend them on ourselves. How does he want us to spend them? Isn't this amazing? It says he wants us to spend them on each other. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. That's why you got the gift, is so that you could bless the people around you. So let's put all this together that Peter's describing, and, and do you start to see the ideal that is emerging here of what he's hoping for in a church that's really living in light of the end? It's a church that so understands that Christ and his kingdom of love is imminent, it's about to come, and so every member is now working actively to 
honor Christ their master so that when he returns, they will not find, he will not find them idle and engaged in all kinds of selfish pursuits. No, he's going to come back to find us actively investing what he has given to us, particularly to bless his people. In other words, he's envisioning a church that is so filled with joyful love that they're constantly serving each other in our various needs. And that's what we mean in our vision statement for covenant when we say, and I think the, the words we chose here are very important, we are striving, striving to be a vibrant biblical church enthusiastically working towards the fullness of Christ's kingdom. Vibrant, enthusiastically, joyful service. That's the ideal. So how do we get there? And verse 11 has the answer. We already mentioned this. Whoever serves is to serve in the strength that God supplies. Jesus is adequate for you. He is sufficient for all of life and for everything that we have, all that our needs are, but particularly he is sufficient for the service he's called you to give. God's work done in God's way will not lack for God's supply. So the Lord Jesus, he's given us everything we need for a life of love in the church. He is, like I said, the heart that's pumping the life-giving blood through his body. And just think of all the things Peter says in his letter about what Jesus has done so that we would lack nothing. Verse one, chapter 1, verse 3, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope, made alive from our old way of living in sin. He's made us new. Chapter 1, verse 18, he's ransomed us. In other words, delivered us out of bondage to the futile ways in which we used to live. We used to be slaves of sin, unable to do anything except things that serve us. God's broken the power of that sin through the cross of Jesus. Chapter 1, 8 and verse 21, he's given us the gifts of joy and of faith. We don't have to, like, come up with that. That's something that he gives to us. All the virtues of the Christian life are the fruit of the Spirit. They're things that he produces in us. Chapter 2, verse 5, he's given us this glorious new role as a royal priesthood who makes holy and beautiful sacrifices to God. Nice. All these things, I could keep on going. All of these things are because of what Jesus has done. He's the one who's made us new. He's the one who's reconstituted us, constituted us no longer as slaves of sin, but as true servants of Christ. What does this mean? This means that all of our acts of service are regarded as beautiful and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The sacrifices we offer are the sacrifices of our love. Does God look at them and he say, oh, but there's still all this sin. I'm not pleased. No, he looks at them and he says, I see this through my, the blood of my son, and these are well-pleasing, beautiful sacrifices to me. These are clean, covered up, made perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. All of this is because Jesus is the great servant. He's the one who joyfully gave himself for us. And he did so willingly. He did so joyfully. He did so without complaining. Why? Because it was his joy. Because he genuinely loves us. And he, he's made happy 
by us being blessed and knowing him and being freed from sin. And so we now love because he loved us first. We now serve because he first served us, bearing our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's First Peter 2, 24. So everything that we do as Christians, what is the power? It is Jesus, crucified and raised for us, whether it's stuff we do as an organ, in an organized way, as a church doing an event or something like that, or whether it's what we're doing off the radar and only one other brother or sister may know, it's all in the power of Jesus so that he gets all the glory. We serve in the strength that he supplies. And yet, we still struggle. We still struggle to live this, don't we? There's the glorious reality of what we're called to be, glorious, joyful servants. There's the glorious reality of what Jesus has done. He has definitively defeated sin and given us all that we need for life and godliness, and yet we still struggle. And what's going to be the answer to our struggles? Is it going to be because we now need something else in addition to Jesus? No. So we need to look back to him and find in him alone the strength which God supplies and internalize that gospel that we've just heard in a way that no longer gives in to the sin that short-circuits a life of love. So I want to raise a few objections that people might say in their hearts as they think about opportunities to serve. You hear yourself in any of these, and then let's hear how the gospel speaks to us. I can't serve because I have nothing to give. I'm just a kid, or I'm just a teen. I'm a new Christian, or I feel like I'm such a weak Christian. Or I'm new here, and I scarcely even know what's going on. (laughs) How am I supposed to serve? But remember 4.10. God has given gifts to everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. That means if you have the spirit of the living God in you, you have gifts for the blessing of other people. You may not have discovered them yet. How are you going to discover them? Just by wondering what they might be? No, it's by actually getting and seeking to use your gifts for his honor. Indeed, the only way to find them is to step out in faith and say, I know God's wired me to bless others. Not quite sure if this is where it's going to be, but I can do this. So we're not going to wait until we found like the perfect match. Oh, this is the thing that just is totally in my wheelhouse. No, if it's just a way you feel like you could bless other people and serve, what are we waiting for? And along the way, you'll discover the joy of serving Christ. You'll, you'll discover the joy of having people say, hey, that was a great blessing to be. Thank you so much. And you start to realize, wow, maybe I actually am gifted in this area. Everybody, everybody is a vital part of this body. Everybody has unique gifts to offer. We always say this in the membership interviews when a, a, a young person joins our church. We always say to them, do you realize how powerful you are, O young person, to welcome other people to this church. Like there's a way in which you are able to welcome people your age who come that I, the pastor, or somebody else who's older could not not make that person feel welcome. And yet you, you can welcome that person in a way that makes them feel loved. And that's that's just the tip of the iceberg 
in terms of how young people, new Christians, can serve the church. And this objection, this objection about, well, I don't feel like I have that much to offer, it can take another form that I want to hopefully dismantle here as well. And, and it's this, look, why not, I could do this, but why not leave it to the pros? I mean, don't we pay the pastors to do this stuff? Answer, no. <laughs> you don't. Our role as ministers is, according to Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of service. So, if we are doing everything, we have failed you as your leaders. We have failed if we are doing it all. And part of the failure is, is actually really selfish because if we're doing all the serving, that means we get all the blessing of serving. It all goes back to the main theme of the sermon, which I hope you're starting to see. The joy of serving Jesus. That's the title of the sermon. Why would we hog it all to ourselves if we truly loved you? Why would we not want all of you to know the joy of serving Christ? We don't want you to hide your light under a basket. We don't want you to bury your treasure in the ground. No, we want you to invest it in a life of love and know the blessing of it. Here's another objection, and it gets to what we were just saying. I don't feel like serving because I know I'm going to come up empty at the end of it. Like, I'm just going to be, like, tired. I'm going to be burned, burned out, spent. Uh, why, why host this thing or set up for this event or do this thing over here when there's so much more fun things to do? And I hope that you're starting to get the aha realization of, my, of this sermon here, that what I'm trying to lead you all up to is the joy of serving Christ is something you don't want to miss. Remember what John the Baptist said when Jesus came? He said, this person who is coming, he is so glorious, I am not worthy. I, John the Baptist, the greatest, it says in the, in the, in the uh, Bible, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, there is none greater than he in the Old Covenant. He says, I am not worthy to untie the sandal of this one who is coming. Do you think he had a sense of the honor and the privilege of serving Jesus? Oh, yes, he did. And Jesus, in the passage about the sheep and the goats, he gives us a window into the future, into the final day of judgment. He's going to say to all of his, his beloved sheep, he's going to say, thank you for serving me in all those tangible ways. Thank you for visiting me when I was in prison. Thank you for, for feeding me when I was hungry. Thank you for clothing me when I was naked. And the, the sheep are going to be, when did we do that for you? And he said, well, when you do it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. So what's the joy of serving your brothers and sisters? It's the joy of serving Jesus Christ. Do you remember how it says in Genesis that Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they felt like nothing because of his love for her? Now take that and magnify that manyfold for the joy of serving Jesus Christ. This one who loves you better than anybody. Don't you want to serve him? Don't you see the joy that comes from serving him? And this is the kind of the paradox of, of biblical love. On the one hand, you get to the end of a day that, say you, say you spend an entire day just seeking your own pleasure, and you feel at the end of it, you're like, wow, that was fun, right? But the paradox of what I'm saying is that you get to the end of a day of serving your brothers and sisters, 
And you may not say, wow, that was fun. <laughs> you might. You probably say, wow, I'm tired. <laughs> or, wow, that was good. Wow, that was good. In a way that you never could have said at the end of seeking your own self, you see the deeper joy of serving Jesus, and you're like, wow, that was good. One last objection. I don't feel like I have the bandwidth for more service. Now, this is a weighty one, and it requires a nuanced response. On the one hand, we do not want to overcommit ourselves. We are creatures. We are limited people. We don't want to pretend we're the Holy Spirit and everything depends on us. No. And we also don't want to be unfaithful to the core commitments that we've made vows that we would uphold. Vows to our spouses to love them. Vows to our kids when when they were baptized, I'm going to teach these kids to follow Jesus. No, we don't want to be unfaithful to the other commitments that we've made. When we make our, we promise, we give our word, I'm going to be faithful as an employee at this job. Well, okay, I'm going to need to be faithful to that and not do things that would jeopardize my word. So we don't want to be unfaithful to our key commitments. We don't want to overcommit. And so we should never feel like we have to do things that would cause us to be unfaithful in these other areas. But we also need always to be aware of self-deception and how it can mess with our minds. How much? We just have to ask ourselves the question, and honestly ask ourselves, how much of the saying, I don't have bandwidth for this, is just an excuse for not wanting to love? It's because we're, we're struggling with one of the previous objections. I don't feel like I have anything to offer. Or I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up just being spent in the, the end of this, and there's not going to be any blessing in this. We have to at least ask ourselves the question. Being a good steward, brothers and sisters, does not mean we say yes to everything. False, is a, false guilt is a real thing, and it is a terrible motivation for service. But a true steward, what are we seeking to do? God's given me these gifts. He's given me physical strength or health to, to a certain measure. He's given me this ability to talk with people. He's given me this understanding of how to do this or that. I want to maximize that. I don't want to use my time, precious time that it is, with the impending return of Jesus. And I'm just blowing, blowing my time doing frivolous stuff that has no fruitfulness. No, there's nothing, there's nothing here that shows forth the love of God and the love of neighbor. So we don't act out of guilt. Instead, we act out of loving stewardship. And can I just say, the effect of a church that lives this is possibly, potentially, absolutely enormous. Yes, even a small church. What are some of the possible effects? You will, by your loving service, build trust among the saints. Now you're not just saying you love your brothers and sisters, you're showing it. Now this person says, wow, I know you care for me. Thank you. You become part of the tie that binds our hearts to each other in Christian love. Loving service, it will protect us from disunity and infighting and an unhealthy preoccupation with theological details or whatever. We, we should be so busy serving each other and blessing our community and showing forth the love of Christ in every sphere of life that we just don't have time to argue about the non-essential, trivial things. No. What's more, think about this, the witness 
How many people are there in this world who are unspeakably lonely, who know nothing of genuine love? All their relationships, all that they've ever known is people trying to use them. And then they look at the church and are like, those people really love each other. Like, there's no way to explain this except those people really love each other. What will they say? Show me how you got there. And we'll get to say, let me show you Jesus. When we serve in the strength that God supplies, he will get the glory. Remember verse 11? Doing this in the strength that God supplies so that in everything, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. Who gets the credit when we serve in God's strength? God. Let us seek, brothers and sisters, to love him with all that we are by loving each other. You will have many opportunities in the days ahead to serve the body of Christ. Don't forget the heart of a true servant. It's the joy of serving Jesus. Don't miss it out, miss out on the joy of serving the one who has loved you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your loving service to us. And Lord, we are in awe that you would so shower your love on us that we would not only be recipients of your love and passively enjoying the, the glory of being your people and showered with your love, but you also call us to actively respond to this love with loving our neighbor, and in particular, the brothers and sisters right here seated among us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to live a life of love, good stewards leading to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you find us at Covenant Presbyterian Church active in the work of love when he returns. We pray in Jesus' name.